everyone and welcome to Riverside Online. We know we would love to be meeting in person, but nevertheless, we are glad to have you here with us as we continue our series, Worship in the Midst of. Lord, as we tune into your voice and as you speak through the sermon, change our hearts and may we live our lives more like you each and every day. Amen. Hey Riverside, as you join us today, I hope that you are warm and that you are safe. Last week, we started a brand new series called Worship in the Midst of. And the content of the series is really based on the life and the circumstances of David. And as we look at what he went through in the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we're going to see how he processed those moments with the Lord. And we're going to notice that regardless of what he went through, he was able to worship God in the midst of all of these circumstances. And there's a very good reason why we're doing this series right now. Let me tell you something that is a heavy burden on the hearts of us as a leadership. Every single time we enter a new lockdown, every single time we hear about new challenges, financial challenges, job losses, and all the difficulties that come along with that, we are so deeply concerned about where our heart is at in the middle of all of these circumstances, where my heart is at, where your heart is at. And and we're concerned about whether or not you're able to see God in these circumstances, whether or not you're still able to see God as good and as near and as present and worthy of worship in all of these circumstances. And of course, we have just entered a new season of lockdown. And so this is so heavy on our hearts. And so if you're unhappy now for whatever reason, I want you to think about what would make you happy. Maybe you're not generally unhappy but you're just feeling a little bit blue today and the kind of thing that would perk you up is a new toy a fancy meal a night out maybe a ps5 or maybe not needing to do church online but you know what goes on in those kinds of moments a number of months ago i was listening to a podcast by a christian psychologist by the name of dr henry cloud And he says, here's how we do life. We all tend to have a baseline of happiness. And then we get the new toy. We get the new gadgets. We get the new wife or the new girlfriend or whatever the case might be. We get a 10% bump in happiness for a short period of time. And then we go back to whatever our baseline of happiness is. Now, there's no doubt that maybe some of the circumstances you find yourself in would be radically changed if certain things had to be different. For example, let's say you are in some financial difficulty or let's say you have lost some work because of COVID-19. Then, yes, if you were to have a bump in income or a steady, stable job, yes, many of those foxes that steal your joy and cause you anxiety will go away because you're able to function more with more stability in your life or or maybe you're in a very difficult marriage and that is causing a net result of unhappiness in so many areas of your life and yes if that had to get sorted out maybe your net baseline level of happiness would grow 
But there's kind of two further things I want to say on this issue. And the first one is this. Do you know, as hard as it is to believe it, that there are people with great jobs and stable income and good financial planning who are also deeply unhappy? And do you know that there are people with great families and obedience children and obedience spouses who are desperately unhappy? But the flip side of that coin is, do you also know that it is possible, again, as hard as it may be to understand and believe, it is possible to go through what you're going through and still find peace and still find joy and still find happiness. So this is where we look at the life of David. Now, David is this incredible Old Testament figure, but most of us only really know the highlight reel. You know, David was a shepherd boy. He was anointed as king. He killed Goliath. He became king. He messed up, had an affair, and his life was pretty difficult from that point onwards, the end. But actually, as we look at the book of 1 or 2 Samuel, we see that there's a whole lot more going on. So yes, he was a shepherd boy. And yes, he was anointed as king. He was the most unlikely of his family to be anointed as Israel's future king. And then he did kill Goliath in this incredible moment. And since that point onwards, he started to grow in favor in the eyes of the people and also the eyes of the king. King Saul was the king at that moment and he noticed David and he wanted David on his team until David started doing better than Saul. Until David started having more influence and more favor with the people around him that Saul did. And do you know that through all of this season, do you know what David was doing as he was growing through these seasons? He was worshiping God and he was processing all of these moments with God. And then his story entered a, a very long season for about 10 years where Saul was so bitter and so jealous of David that David had to become a fugitive. And for 10 years, there was this kind of cat and mouse game where Saul wanted David dead. And do you know what David was doing in all of this time? He was worshipping his God. And we know that because we see how so many of the Psalms come out of that season of his life. And then he became king. And do you know what he was doing? He was worshipping God. And then he had this affair which really broke so many things around him. But do you want to know what he was doing in that moment? He was repenting and he was processing this with God. In all of these moments, we see in the stories of 1 and 2 Samuel and the Psalms just how David truly was, even in the midst of all of these difficult moments, some of them internally difficult, some of them externally difficult, that David was engaging God in worship and prayer. And in the same way, these Psalms can help us keep our hearts and our minds fixed on God in our messy circumstances, in our chaos, 
in our highs and our lows, in our losses and also in our victories. And so the Psalms that we looked at both last week and the Psalm we're going to look at today come from the season of David's life where he is this fugitive and where Saul with all of his armies is trying to hunt David down and end his life. And that's just one of the worst feelings in the world. I don't know if you had a moment when you were in primary school or high school or maybe now in the workplace where there is somebody who had it in for you. Every single time they see you, you can see the hate in their eyes and they want you out of their life forever. Now, I know that that's a horrible feeling. And in this case, not only did Saul hate David, but Saul wanted to kill him. And one of the Psalms that David writes in this story is Psalm chapter 34. And so we're going to work through this Psalm, understand the context, and also see how David is relating to God in all of this time. And so some of these Psalms tell us just a little bit of a story about where the Psalm comes from before we even get to verse 1. And so let's start there. Psalm 34 says a Psalm of David. When he pretended to be insane... Before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't learn about that story when I was in Sunday school. I mean, what do you mean David pretending to be insane? Well, we find the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 to 15. And I'm not going to read it necessarily. I'm just going to talk you through it. But you're more than welcome to do this yourself. But here's what's going on. David's reputation has grown. Saul is bitter and jealous and wants him dead. So David is on the run. Now, this is David versus King Saul. This is David with a few mates versus a king and the treasuries and resources of the kingdom and his armies. In other words, there's nowhere really that David can run where Saul cannot reach him. So David decides to run to a Philistine town. This is a town called Gath and he decides to hang out with the king there and find refuge with him. But here's the problem. The problem is, David is famous. There was a hit song that everyone was singing about David. This was the song that had gone viral and people were doing dance videos on TikTok about the song about David and everyone knows who David is. And so David goes to a town outside of what he would know as his people And as he comes in and he's hanging out in the house of the king, everyone else is like, that's David. This is the guy that that song is about. Now, these days when a song is written about somebody, usually it's because they broke the songwriter's heart or because they are a heartthrob or whatever the case might be. But in this case, the song was about David's military prowess. And so this is how the song went. Okay, don't worry. I'm not going to sing it for you. I don't actually know how it goes from a musical perspective. But the words of the song go, Saul, King Saul, mighty King Saul. Saul, who is six foot something, King Saul, he has slain the thousands. But David, David, the new kid on the block, the new hero, the new manly man, he has slain the tens of 
of thousands. And so because of this song, David's reputation has gone before him. He is now in the house of the king and he knows that now this, that this news had made its way to the king's ears, he was in trouble and he doesn't know how to get out of the situation. So here's what he does. Now you can't make this stuff up. You can go read it for himself. David, this mighty man, this warrior, starts to act crazy. He literally starts to move crazy and act crazy and sound crazy. He starts to kind of scratch things on the door and he allows saliva to dribble over his beard. And so the king says, why have you brought this guy to me? Get him out of here. And so they kick David out and he runs to a cave. And what does he do there? He does what he always does. He writes a psalm and he processes his situation and his understanding of who God is and what God is doing in the circumstance. Now imagine this was you. And imagine for whatever reason in this difficult situation, you decided to sit down and write a psalm. What would your opening words be? I'll tell you, my opening words would be something along the lines of, Help! Help! God, get me out of this situation! God, I'm so tired of this! I just want to go home. I just want to wake up in the morning without being worried about a sword being at my throat. I just want to pass King Saul and not be worried that he is going to take me out. Now that's what I would have said. But let me read you how David opens up the psalm. Psalm 34, and we're going to read the first three verses where David says this. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now remember, David is in an extremely difficult time but here is where we see his heart you see for David worship wasn't only for when times were easy worship wasn't only when times were comfortable and safe and where everything was predictable and going right in fact we see David regularly worshiping God from his heart even in the most difficult of circumstances because he knew that God was bigger than his circumstances and so in these first few verses we see that worship elevates God above your circumstances Worship elevates God above your circumstances. Now, when we look at how David responded in his circumstances, this is a real challenge for us in this time of lockdowns and COVID-19. You see, before COVID, worship was pretty comfortable. Worship was pretty easy. We would rock up at 9.30 on a Sunday morning and there would be a, a mood, there would be a vibe, there would be joy, there'd be friends, there'd be something going on. The band would be practicing and rehearsing. they the ones who got there early in order to serve you. And then we'd go one, two, three, four, and we would sing. It would be wonderful. You'd be comfortable. You know a good cup of tea or coffee is coming after the service. And now we're like... I can't worship because I'm at home. I mean, just, just think about that. I'm sitting on my couch with a warm cup of coffee in my hand, in my PJs, in my warm home. But I can't worship God 
And now if that sounds sarcastic to you, you hearing me right. You see, on one hand, I get that. But on the other hand, what does it say about our faith? What does it say about our worship? If all it takes is a little digital disruption to stop our worship in its tracks. You see, I think sometimes this exposes that we're actually guilty of worshiping comforts and convenience as opposed to recognizing how God is worthy to be worshiped at all times. Now, I know, I know that it is easier to worship when we're together as a church family. I know that it is easier to worship when we're in the room with the band and we can feel the energy and we can sense God's presence. I know that when we're standing in the lounge with one or two people, I know that that is awkward. I've experienced that. But who said worship was supposed to be easy? See, there's a reason why Hebrews chapter 13 calls it a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of praise. You see, sometimes worship is going to cost me something. Sometimes I'm going to have to say no to good things in order to say yes to God in worship. Let me ask you, especially if you are parents, do you only feed your kids when you're happy? when you're comfortable, when you've got plenty of time? Or do you sometimes find yourself in a frantic state and you've just come home from some late meetings, you've got some evening meetings and emails to get through, and so you've got a short period of time, so you pull out something frozen from the deep freeze, you chuck it in the microwave, but you're still doing what you can to prioritize feeding your children. Now, is it only loving when you're able to sit at the stove and be like Nigella Lawson and I love cooking, I love cooking? Or or maybe even in the chaos, as you prioritize feeding your children, is that not an equally, if not greater, display of love? And so maybe what God is doing in this season is taking us outside of our comfort zones, not to diminish our worship, but to grow our worship. And so I want to encourage you to step into that place of being uncomfortable, but choosing to worship God, leaning into the God who is presence. Maybe what you'll discover is what David discovered, is the God who is above and beyond and with you in your circumstances. So let's continue to read. We're going to read now the next section that we're going to focus on, which are verses 47. And as I read, I'm going to kind of emphasize our side of things and then God's side of things. And you'll see what I mean in a second. Here's what David says. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. 
And so in this section of the psalm, we see that God is to be found in all circumstances. Look at these words that David uses to describe himself. He says, I sought the Lord. I looked to him. I call out to him. David is in a very difficult position, but where does he turn? Who does he look to? Who does he seek? Who does he depend on? God. Now, sometimes in church, people like me, pastors, talk about the idols in our lives. And if we look around our homes, there's no little statues of other gods in our homes. But do you want to know how you can discover what some of your idols are? What some of your functional saviors are? You need to take notice of when you go through difficult times, who or what do you look to to save you? Now, in that moment, you're not looking for someone or something to save you in the sense of eternity. You're looking to someone or something to save you from your circumstances or the shame that you're experiencing. And so some of you become convinced that all we need to do is throw some money at it because that's going to save you. Or some of you are going to retreat and you go to some of your other idols. You know, they're not going to save you from your circumstances, but they're going to distract you from the pain that you're going through. And so you go to pornography or you go online or you go shopping because these things become functional saviors to you. You're hoping that they are the thing that's going to take you forward out of the circumstance. Now, are these things bad? Are there circumstances where money can actually improve the circumstances? Well, of course. I mean, David didn't just find himself in the king's home and realize that he wasn't safe anymore. Get down on his knees and pray and trust God. No, he applied his mind. He was agile. He was shrewd. But here's the thing that David didn't trust himself ultimately. He trusted God ultimately. He knew that God was going to be the one who was going to save him. And so he looked to God. He called out to God. Let me tell you, when I'm your pastor, but there have regularly been moments in my life where I've been freaked out, where things have been stressing me out. And so I've sought to find solutions. I have studied, I have read, I have phoned up other leaders who've experienced similar things. And what do you do? And how do you get through these things? And I've worried and I've fretted. And sometimes after days, if not weeks, the thought comes to me. But Stephen, have you prayed about this? And I don't mean this little prayer lord please help me and then i go back to trusting my own abilities now yes we are going to think we are going to plan we are going to strategize but i am not going to trust my works i'm going to trust god this is why why david uses these words i sought the lord i looked to him i called out to him and so we're going to get desperate in prayer we're going to invest ourselves in God in prayer we're going to call out to him that reminds me of a time a number of years ago where the family and I were on a fly fishing holiday and I went for a late afternoon early evening fish to a dam about 
a kilometer away from the venue that we were staying. So I drove there knowing that I'd be driving back at night. And as I was fishing there, sun was coming down. My two kids came and they found the route through the woods to come and find me and we chatted and you know they held the rod a few times and then eventually they were like okay it's getting dark it's getting cold and they started walking back and making their way home so I carried on fishing and you know, moving along the bank bit by bit until I got to a point where I heard this little voice and as I tried to focus in on this voice I realized that this was the voice of a freaking out four-year-old soddler you see, what had happened was as this one son of mine was walking home, he fell down the bank of this dam and got himself lodged up in this situation. And so he was calling out. But here's what he didn't do. He didn't give this kind of half-hearted, Dad, helping. Oh, well, Dad never heard me. I'm going to keep quiet. No, he called and he called and he called until dad did hear him and dad was able to go and help him. Now, it's not a perfect metaphor because we were limited by human finite abilities. But when we call out, we call out to a God who hears. But it is all about the state of our hearts. Am I just going, oh God, help me? Or am I throwing myself on him? Am I looking for him? You see, he is there. But as I look for him, sometimes that means refocusing my vision, taking my vision off these other functional saviors so that I can see the God who is there. So are you doing this? And maybe you say, well, I don't have the time to do it. Well, I want to suggest to you that you can't afford not to do it. Now let's go to the third and the final section of the psalm that we're going to look at. And what I'm going to do is going to, I'm going to read these verses, make a few comments as we go. But what we're going to see in these verses is that David starts teaching about living God's way in all circumstances. Living God's way in all circumstances. You see, for David, it wasn't just about crying out when he needed help and then reverting back to his old pattern of living. You see, at some point, you've got to choose. Is God the person that I, I look to to bail me out of tough situations? Or am I going to trust his wisdom? Am I going to trust his righteousness? Am I going to trust his ways and therefore start trusting him, not only to bail me out, but to lead me towards life and righteousness. So let's see how that comes through in these verses. Verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see, this is why David could call out to God and trust God and worship him. You as Riverside know that I've quoted this verse regularly. It's also quoted in the New Testament. But David had tasted and seen that the Lord truly was good. He knew his God. And this is why he could relate to God in all of these circumstances. And then verse 9. Fear the Lord, you his saints, and those who fear him lack nothing. Now, when we think about God and the fear of God, we need to understand that on one hand, God is majestic. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is powerful. And He is fearsome. He is holy. 
repent. God is near. God is close. God is a friend. God is my comfort. And if we only hold to one of these two on one hand, we can be so in awe of God and and fear Him, but we've got no sense of God with us. On the other hand, if I only think about God who is with me, what I've seen happen all too often is God becomes my chummy. God becomes my mate. And I lose all sense of awe of His majesty. And, and so somehow we need to hold these two in tension. And let me illustrate that with the Apostle John. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew and walked with Jesus in an intimate friendship. And yet when many years later, Jesus came to him in a vision on the island of Patmos. He, he didn't go, hey, how, how's it Jesus? High five, you know, it's been a while. How are you doing? He fell down. As if dead. And so yes. There is a way. Even for us as New Testament believers. Where we fear. God's awesomeness. And then when we do know. That he's close. And that he calls us friend. That should shake us. That should overwhelm us. Because we know. This majestic God. Verse 10. The lions may grow weak and hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So who are the lions? The lions are the proud. The lions are those who depend on themselves to look after themselves. They don't need God. They don't need anybody else. So who are we? Well, the New Testament calls us not lions, but sheep. Right? But sometimes because the sheep look to the mighty great king and shepherd, sometimes it is the sheep who are feasting and the lions who are going hungry. And for this last section, I'm just going to read all the way from verse 11 to the end of the chapter and just make a number of quick points around this. This is what David writes. He says, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants and no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Remember, David is teaching us about living God's way in all circumstances. And so these verses are describing the fruits and the favor we have from God in righteous living. 
Now, does the Bible teach that if we live righteous lives, that we are going to somehow escape all difficulty in the answers? No. Look at the life of David. Look at the life of Paul and the other disciples. Look at the life of Jesus, right? Now, if they were righteous and if Jesus was the ultimate righteous one, and yet they still went through difficult times, how much more will we sometimes go through difficult times? And yet... What this part of the psalm is teaching, alongside so many other parts of the Bible that teach about practical, wise, and righteous living. I mean, for example, we've got the book of Proverbs, which is an entire book of uh, wisdom and teaching us to live righteous lives. What this is trying to say is that if we trust God's way and God's wisdom and live righteous lives, we are going to escape a whole host of difficulties. Now, some of the difficulties you may have been through are because we have an enemy that seeks to kill and destroy. Some other difficult things that you may have gone through are because we live in a fallen and a broken world. And so we have tsunamis and avalanches and diseases. And no one person is to blame for those things. Some of the difficult things that you've experienced in your life are because other human beings, fallen sinful human beings, have made fallen sinful human decisions that have impacted you negatively. But then there's a whole host of difficulties that you've experienced in your life Because you are a fallen, sinful, broken human being and you have made horrible decisions. And what the scriptures are saying, are if we trust God and his ways, while we will never be perfect, we strive towards loving him in obedience. We will experience the fruits of righteousness and we will experience the joy of obedience. And for that reason, we will experience the fruits of God's favor in our lives. So this psalm is helping us see that we have a gracious God. Who regardless of your circumstances. And regardless of how difficult you might find online church and COVID-19. And the, all the conditions going on around you. Is that God is worthy to be worshipped and we need to lean into that maybe what you're also discovering through the psalm is that God is to be found he's there in all of these circumstances and we have a God who wants to lead us into life and paths of righteousness and so as we wrap up our time together I want to give you a very practical way to put this into practice Sometimes we end a sermon like this and we give you, try these three things, do these four things, do these two things. But I want to give you something different to do today. We've been talking about Psalm 34. And one of the best ways that we can press into the presence and the reality of God is through prayer and through scripture and by putting those together. These psalms have been prayed and have been sung by God's people for over 3,000 years. And so I want to help you do that and give you a few basic tips of the trade as to how exactly to do this. So here's what I want you to do. Maybe you want to do this today or tomorrow morning and maybe this will take you a few days, maybe even a few weeks to do this properly. 
I want to encourage you to take some time out. I even want to encourage you to take a journal and to write some of these things down. It forces you to focus your thoughts, slow down your mind, keeping you from being distracted from the many other things so that you can focus on what God is saying. Give yourself space to be in silence sometimes and to reflect and to meditate and to allow God to speak to you in his still small voice. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Before verse 1, we saw the circumstances that David found himself in. And so why don't you say to God, here are my circumstances. Here's my moments of chaos. Lord, here's my struggle. Here's why I'm struggling to see you. Why I'm struggling to worship you. And here's why I need you. And describe your circumstances to God. And then get to verse 1 and 2 and 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And maybe you need to repent and say, Lord, your praise hasn't always been on my lips. But I want your praise to be on my lips. I want to see you above and beyond my circumstances. I also want to see your glory and your closeness in my circumstances. And I choose to praise you and to worship you. And so I want my soul to boast in you, God. I feel afflicted right now, but I know that you hear me. And so I rejoice. And then we can get to the next section and say, I sought the Lord, and, and again, maybe we start with repentance, Lord. I haven't been seeking you. I've been leaning on my own understanding, on my own wisdom, maybe on my own efforts and the people around me. I've been looking to other functional saviors to get me out of my state and my chaos. But Lord, I choose to seek you. I choose to look to you, Lord, help me refocus my vision on you. Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus. Lord, I, I call out to you. Like that little boy who was calling out to his dad, I'm calling out to you, God, because your word says that you will save me. So I trust you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh God, it's been so long since I've tasted and seen your goodness. I've known it in my mind, but it's been so long since it's been a reality to me. So Lord, help me taste and see that you are good. I, I fear the Lord, you his saints. Oh God, I've been treating you like a stranger. Lord, I've been treating you like a buddy. I've been treating you like an ATM. I've been treating you like a butler. I've been treating you like somebody I don't know. Oh Lord, I've lost my awe of you. I've lost my reverence of you. And, and Lord, help me see your majesty. At the same time, help me see your closeness. And really, that just serves an, ex an example, a very brief example. You could spend much longer on each of these verses. But as you put yourself into the situation and, and allow the words of David to become your words then you add your words to these words your heart to this heart and i've got no doubt that you will see god that you will worship god that you will know god 
that you will see his help and that you'll know his presence and his power. Let us pray. Father, we are in difficult circumstances. There is no one listening to this who is not wrestling with tragedy or loss or challenge or difficulty. I also know because of human nature, there is not a single person, including me, out there who has not looked everywhere before looking to you. Father, as David was a man after your own heart in his life of chaos, we bring our circumstances to you. And Father, I pray that you'd give us your spirits, open the eyes of our hearts, so that even in the middle of our circumstances, before they're changed, before they're magically taken away from us, that we're able to worship you, truly worship you and find joy in you. Holy Spirit, help us see you and seek the Lord in our circumstances. And also, Lord, as we pray this out, with your help, would you lead us towards paths of life so you are not only the God we turn to to bail us out of our deep times of trouble, but you are the God we follow into righteousness and life. And so, Lord, I pray all of these things in your mighty name. Amen.